You know what's fascinating to me is to think about all of the ways that our perceptions of fatherhood have changed down through the years. Now, there are some parts of the job of being a dad that have never changed, but the perception of what it means to be a dad has changed dramatically over the years. I think you can see this particularly when you think about the way mass media has portrayed dads through the years. If you go back, you, you see it was done a certain way back in the 50s, and then it's done a very different way here in the 21st century. But I thought today we, we'd make the introduction to the message a little interactive. I'm gonna show you some pictures of TV dads and when you know who they are, I want you to just yell it out, just blurt it out. I know some of you think, you can't do that in church. Here, you can. It's okay. Just go ahead. If you see, when you see the dad and you recognize him, just shout the name. Or if you can't think of the name, the TV show that he comes from. So we're going to start. We're going to go way, way back to number one. Ward Cleaver. Very good. Leave it to Beaver. Beave. Boys. Anyway, Ward Cleaver. Number two. The grace. I love Andy Griffith. This next one's a lot of fun. Number three, Mike Brady. Can we just pause here for a second? Those are some pants. And with the white belt. I mean, you can't teach that kind of fashion sense, nor would you want to, but it's, it's there. Number four. Mr. Cunningham, Howard Cunningham, Mr. C. Hey, remember? Number five, James Evans Sr. Remember, James, we love you, we got him. Boom, good, good, good time. I love good times. Kid dynamite. Number six. Oh, Danny Tanner. Number seven, Carl Winslow, Family Matters. Most annoying catchphrase in TV history. Did I do that? Please don't ever say that again. Number eight is a legend. Homer, you know it. You know, I grew up in Houston at Second Baptist Church, and our, our pastor, Dr. Ed Young, he used to go by Dr. H. Edwin Young. And I never knew what the H, he was Homer Edwin Young. His parents named him Homer. Homer. I love it. Number nine's a legend. Number nine, Bernie McCullough. Remember Bernie Mac? This was a breakthrough show. Bernie Mac was actually uncle to these kids that he stepped in to help raise them when his sister could. It's a great, great show. Groundbreaking. Loved Bernie Mac. Number 10, <laughs> Hank Hill. How many of y'all have never seen King of the Hill? That's tragic. Mike Judge is a genius. I'm telling you, Hank Hill was a legend. Number 11, <laughs> Phil Dunphy. And then number 12. Oh, I know. Some of you are starting to cry right now. Randall Pearson, this is us. Now, it's interesting, I think, to look at how dads have been portrayed on television down through the years. You had... Ward Cleaver, always in a tie, usually a suit, as he was speaking to his wife, who always was wearing pearls, even when she was vacuuming. And, and then now, today, with the exception of Randall Pearson, he's a notable exception, most of the dads on TV, especially in sitcoms these days, 
It is like doofus dad on parade. I mean, it's just like, but it's, it's, it's fascinating to me how these roles have evolved over the years. And as influential and as iconic as some of these TV dads are, I think we would all agree that no one shapes our perception, our perspective on fatherhood like the man who holds that office in our own lives, like, like our dads. And for some of us, and that's a good thing, no matter how imperfect or, or certainly human your dad or my dad might have been, these were dads who leveraged their influence in our lives for our benefit, for our good. We didn't necessarily like everything they told us or when they grounded us or disciplined us, but we knew they were in it to win it for our good. And so Father's Day is, is a celebration of that. But we also know that for some people, Father's Day is a hard, hard day. Maybe, maybe for you, your, your father was not a force for good in your life. He might have been absentee, maybe even abusive. In those situations, I, I want you especially to know that I think on this Father's Day weekend, God has an amazing, very, very special grace for you. And, and it's this, that, that God would allow us to view our perspective of our fathers and fatherhood in general through the lens of our perfect heavenly father, that we would allow the grace of God to inform our view of our earthly fathers rather than allowing the weaknesses and shortcomings of our earthly fathers to limit our view of our heavenly father. And in this, there's an incredible, there's an incredible freedom and liberating that happens to do this, we're going to take a deep, deep dive into the role of dad. Just specifically, what does it mean biblically to occupy this divinely ordained office? What does it mean to hold that position in the lives of our kids? Now, obviously, this is Father's Day, and this is a message for fathers, but it's not a message exclusively for dads. This is a message for dads and moms, husbands and wives. This is a, a message for anybody who has a father or maybe has father issues that haven't fully been resolved. I think there is something very, very real and spiritually tangible in this for every single one of us. To do this, we're going to go back to where we've been over the last few weeks in our series, New in the Area. We've been looking at the book of 1 Peter and looking at what it means to be made new in Christ but to still be living in this world, called to be like Christ, but in the world and not like the world. This is kind of the driving theme of 1 Peter. And to get at this, we're going to go to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 picks up right where we left off last week in chapter 2. You, you'll remember if you were here, we said that if you had to kind of boil down the core of the Christian faith to one word, it would be the word submission, that we are called to submit our will, our lives to the will and the life of God himself. And submission is one of those things that is, man, that's, 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 that's tough sledding for most of us. I, I don't know anybody who wakes up in the morning and says, who can I submit to today? That, that is hard to do. And, and we looked at this last week in 1 Peter chapter 2, and just very, very quickly, I need to correct a mistake that I made in last week's sermon. Will you give me that just a, just a little bit? I, I made a mistake that somebody very graciously pointed out to me at the end of the service last week. 
We talked about submission, and we talked about this fact that God calls us to submit to human authorities in this world as far as the human authority is congruent with biblical authority. And as long as that's fine, then, that's, then everything's cool. We submit and we move on down the road. But of course, when human authority diverges from biblical godly authority, that's where the rub comes in, and that's where we have to take, stand up and, and take a stand biblically, legally sometimes, and morally. And in this explanation in 1 Peter chapter 2, I, I read the part where it says, it, it says, first of all, submit to the earthly authorities, the laws, and the governing authorities. But then Peter goes on because of the context where he was writing, and he says, slaves, submit to your earthly masters for conscience' sake as you remember the will of God. And he goes on to explain why you do that. And in the first service last week, I, I went on to say that of course, of course, of course, this is in no way a biblical endorsement for the human disgrace of slavery. It's in no, you, you can't read a single page of the Bible and say, God is pro-slavery. Every single word of the gospel is a word of freedom. Every single word of the gospel is calling us up rather than dehumanizing anyone. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul says, in Christ Jesus, there is neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. The, foot, the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. For some unknown reason, I did not make that same statement in the 11 o'clock service last week and I was wrong. I apologize for making that mistake. I hope you'll, that's all it was, was an honest mistake. It was Christians. More specifically, it was the bride of Christ who led the charge to change the laws and the attitudes and the hearts of the world about the issue of slavery. It is a disgrace and the scourge of our nation that we still wrestle with the remnants of, but it's not a reflection of Scripture. And you and I both know that historically, people um, misrepresented Scripture. They prostituted the Word of God to justify slavery and their own sin, and that is absolutely of Satan. It is not God. It is not the gospel, and I should have been more clear about it last week, and I apologize. Having said that, today, we're going to wade into some more alligator-infested waters, and we're going to pick up right where chapter 2 left off, but I want you to know, we're going to make it. We will get through this together. Everybody kind of take a deep breath real quick, okay? Okay. I'm going to read, starting with verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, you can start looking there, but don't read it just yet. But please, let me finish the whole passage. Don't freak out. Don't check out. Don't get mad. We're, we're going to get through this together. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell them like you mean it with some, with some Father's Day passion. You got this. Okay. Okay. Everybody buckled up? Here we go. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Have a good week. Wait, I'm not done. <clears throat> Excuse me, the Bible's not done. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. 
they will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Let us quickly move to verse 7 of 1 Peter chapter 3. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are physically, physically, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. Submission. Submission. It's a tough word. It's a tough thing to do. I remember years ago, this is one of my favorite moments ever, Julie and I were talking through this. And listen, when I tell you, if you don't know my bride, I married so far over my head, I can't even see straight. She's smarter, she's tougher, she's wiser. I mean, it's hard to live with. (laughs) But we were having a conversation about this, and she said the following. She said, you know, I really don't struggle with submission. That's not a problem for me. I thought, well, man, that's great. And then she said this. I mean, unless we disagree. (laughs) Now, may I just say, as a husband, this is a pivotal moment. I didn't say a word. I didn't smile. I just went, oh, listening, just listening. And all of a sudden, I just saw it come across her face. Like, it just went all over. She went, oh, my gosh. I do have a problem with submission. I was like, I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. You don't take it up. (laughs) We all have a problem with submission. We all do. But I think it's important to understand, to understand submission, you have to understand biblical authority, biblical leadership, biblical responsibility. Peter's not saying anything here that doesn't dovetail perfectly with what the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, this is what the Bible, and I promise you we're getting to the dad part, but just follow me for a second. Ephesians 5, 21 says this, and further submit, there it is again. Anybody else feel sometimes the Bible's just inconvenient? There's just some... Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So out of worship, out of trust and faith in him, I'm supposed to submit to Julie. We submit to one another. Look at verse 25 and following. Now for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, 
she will be holy and without fault. So, if I'm supposed to love Julie the way Christ loves the church, that means that I lead, I, I initiate with sacrifice. Sacrifice. As a man, if you're ever at a loss as to what to do or what to say or where to go, start with sacrifice. Start with sacrifice. Jesus laid down his life. Now, this is why Peter says what he says. We submit out of reverence for Christ. We submit in emulation, simulating what Jesus did. If I'm a Christ follower, that means I'm gonna do what Jesus did. I'm gonna follow his example. I'm gonna follow his lead. Now we, of course, acknowledge as followers, he's the king of kings, he's the Lord of lords. That's, that's not just a, a poetic title. That means that he is the very author of all authority. There, there's no power, there's no authority except Jesus's. Sometimes he delegates some to us, but ultimately he's large and in charge, period, hard stop. And yet the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords died on a Roman cross for you and for me. The Bible says that, that Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. Washed, his feet, washed their feet and then he said, I do this to show you how I want you to treat each other. If Jesus washed our feet, men, sacrifice, sacrifice. And I'm just going to tell you right here in the privacy of this room, don't tell anybody, but this goes against every grain of the fallen masculine spirit. Men, not a single one of us wake up in the morning and think, where can I go sacrifice today? Men, how many of us are good at selfish? Can I just see a show of hands? If you're good at selfish, guys, raise your hand. This is what I just saw. <laughs> That's okay. Don't, don't, don't run from it. Just go, yeah, I, I got selfish down pat which is why I need the Holy Spirit. It's why I need this relationship with God to give me the grace to sacrifice. To sacrifice. Ephesians 5 goes on, and it says this. This is a passage of Scripture that I know my children have memorized. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Some translations say, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Can I tell you how many times Emily and Joe growing up, you're exasperating me. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Dad, this is the job. Bring them up with the instruction that comes from the Lord. That's your primary job as a father. It's not to hope somebody else picks it up at church. Your job, my job as a dad, long before I was a pastor, my job as a dad 
is to teach my kids how much God loves them and what it looks like to live in a relationship with him. That's it. You teach them a curveball, way to go. That's awesome. But they don't know how to pray or be a part of a church. That's on you. It's our job to bring them up. Don't buy the lie of the world. Well, I, I don't want to force anything. It was forced on me. Listen, that's why you lead with love. You start with sacrifice. So they trust you. So they see what he's telling me actually works, and he's telling me this for my own good. You start with sacrifice. You lead with love. Then you teach. Then you guide. Then you discipline. Then you correct. But it all starts with love founded in sacrifice. Simon Sinek is a best-selling author and a business consultant to massive corporations. And years ago, he began to speak to different branches of the military, Air Force, Navy, Army, Marines. But he noticed there was something different in the, in the way Marines interacted with each other. The esprit de corps, they call it, or the, 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 the united spirit that they have. That's not to say that the others aren't great and don't do incredible things, but something different about Marines. And as he began to investigate, he started to ask questions. He noticed something one day in a Marine base chow hall. And what he noticed became the basis of his book. Leaders eat last. Leaders eat last. You see, for the Marines, the officers don't go through the chow line first. The lowest ranking private is the first one in line for food. It is the job, it is the responsibility of the officers to make sure that they're the people that they are responsible for are taken care of, and then they'll take care of themselves. That is biblical leadership. Now, I'm not saying that every Marine general in the world is a Christian, but that principle is the same thing being talked about here. So what do we do? How, how, do, we, how do we live this out? How do we allow the gospel to redefine dad? That, that's really what this is because, as we said, a lot of people have a really skewed perspective on what it means to be a father, on what a father is all about. And, and many times that skewed perspective can greatly inhibit their perspective on God. Not always, but many times. So to redefine dad, we, we start with sacrificial leadership. Number one, submit your needs to your family's needs. Submit your needs, submit your wants to your family's needs. It's about priority. What do I want? I, obviously, we all have needs. We all have wants. That's okay. But I need to make sure that I keep those submitted to the needs of my family. That, that I place a greater priority on my wife, if you're married, a greater priority on my kids' needs than my own wants. Submit your own wants, your own needs to your family's needs. Number two, identify the needs of your family. Identify them. As a father, it's, it's the job 
to identify the needs of your family. First of all, spiritually. Your, your kids, your family, your home has profound spiritual needs. We all come into this world needing to grow spiritually. God says in the Old Testament, I have placed eternity in the heart of man. That means that he's placed within us something that knows it ain't just about us. That there is absolutely something above and beyond just the here and the now. And as a father, it's my job to identify my family's needs from minute to minute, season to season, year to year, spiritually. Also, identify the needs physically, safety. That's, that's the primary thing you do as a dad. You identify that spiritual need, but then also the physical, the safety needs of your family. I remember one time, <clears throat> Emily was probably about five years old, and she woke up in the middle of the night with a nightmare. She had some kind of night terror or something, and one of the things that God really gifted Emily with was a powerful set of lungs. I mean, girls got some pipes. And so 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning, she wakes up screaming, crying. Our room was upstairs. Their room was downstairs. I was downstairs in about four steps. And I could tell when I got in there, she didn't know what was going on. She was having this nightmare still, and she was still screaming, still crying. And, and I, I climbed up a bit, and I grabbed her. I go, Emily, 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 it's okay. This is dad. You're, you're, you're fine, baby. You're safe. Between our room and her room, I, I thought maybe somebody had gotten into our house. I had no idea what was going on. But I could evaluate the situation, and I knew what was going on and what wasn't going on. And I got to just sit there and hold her, and I go, I said, hey, Emily, Emily, it's okay. It's okay. Dad, I got you. This is Dad. You're safe. She kind of started to, you know, wake up and realize what was going on, and the tears were con continuing, and she was crying. And I, I got to be the one to just sit there and hold her and kind of go, hey, I got you. That was a nightmare. That wasn't real. This is real. We're We're good. You're good. And as I made my way back upstairs, God hit me like a ton of bricks with the reality. As powerful as that moment was for me as a flawed and foibled human father, that's how much he loves us each one. To, to hold you and to tell you, I've got you. I, I've got reality in the palm of my hand, and as long as I've got you, you're going to be okay. And I thought, that's how much God loves me. That's how much God loves you. My, my kids could, could get injured physically. Joe, you know, he broke collarbones a couple of times, arms. That was bad, but I mean, I was like, that's, you know, this is part of growing up if you're doing it right. But when my kids are scared, it's no good. It goes all through me. And so I wanted them to know they were safe with me. I have, you know, I'd get mad. I'd have a temper from time to time. That definitely was part of my makeup, part of my fallenness. But I never wanted them to be afraid. So we identify their needs spiritually, physically, emotionally, and relationally. And then also materially. 
materially. As a, as a father, the material provision of the home is primarily your responsibility. That doesn't mean that, that mom can't work or shouldn't work in any way, shape, or form. You read Proverbs 31, whoo, this was an entrepreneurial woman, man. She was a real estate mogul, wheeling and dealing. She had it going on. But as a husband, as a father, you have to identify those needs. And then, now it's one thing to submit our wants and needs to, to theirs. It's another thing to identify them. Don't forget about number three. Address the needs of your family. Address them. Do something about it. Be there. Your primary job as a dad, my primary job as a dad, is we're, we're basically the, the shepherd of the family. Psalm 23 is a great job description for a dad. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. It's safe with him. He leads me beside the waters. He guides me in his paths for his namesake. That's addressing the needs. That's meeting the needs of our family. As a dad... That's the job. But there's an amazing spiritual dynamic that takes place that only God could pull off. When we submit to him, when we submit our needs and our wants to our families, God begins to feed those deep, deep places in a man's soul. When you see when you see your family, your, your kids or your wife, if you're married, when you see them start to flourish, kind of like, it's pretty cool. God did it, and for whatever reason, he chose to use me as an instrument in that process. Remember Ephesians 5? Just, just very quickly in review. Jesus gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or a wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. As a man, that's how we love that's how we sacrifice. And that's how we lead. Jesus is absolutely a sacrificial leader. He washed feet. But if you'll remember, he also course corrected when he needed to. He told Peter, get behind me, Satan. Don't get between me and what God has called me to do. It's both and, but you lead with love. You start with sacrifice. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And in this moment, I want you to just consider that fact, the fact of Jesus Christ's sacrifice 
Now, I know that some of us here today have chosen to trust him, that we've appropriated that sacrifice. We've appropriated the, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead as our own personally by choosing to follow him, by responding to his grace initiative. But if you're here today and you've never done that, we want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. Just to pray and respond to that grace initiative for the first time in your life. If you've never done it before, just to begin by submitting to the only one who could never take advantage of your submission. The one who submitted himself for you. If that's you this morning, then we invite you just to pray right where you're sitting, a prayer of beginning and a prayer of submitting, just talking to God, say something like this. Jesus, I need you. And I believe that your death on the cross was for me and that your resurrection from the dead was for me. And in this moment, in this place, I accept this gift, this grace from you, and I give you my life. I will follow you from this moment forward with everything I have. I confess my sin to you in order to claim your forgiveness. Jesus, thank you. I pray this prayer in your name. If you would just remain with your heads bowed and eyes closed for a moment. For anyone who just prayed that prayer, this is the biggest moment of your life. And as a church, we get to help with the moments that follow. And so I would ask you, if you would, just allow us that privilege, that allow us to do what we, we get to do and are called to do. A couple of ways. Number one, if you would just use that QR card that's in the seat back in front of you to indicate I committed my life to Christ this week. If you're online, there's a place for you to do the same thing. Now, if you're sitting in the front row of one of the sections, the, seat, the QR card will be right underneath your seat. And if you're here in the room, when we dismiss in just a few minutes, you'll, you can go to the hub with that QR card and we would love to give you a prayer journal and a Bible for yourself as you begin this new relationship, this new life with Christ. Second thing I would ask if you would, just for a moment as we remain with our heads bowed, if that was your prayer, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it up high over your head for a moment to indicate that spiritual commitment that you just made and know that we celebrate that with you. We honor that as a church family and our, our family tradition around here is you can go ahead and put your hands down but we're gonna put our hands together and tell you welcome home. Welcome home.